Help us make Your Money, Your Wealth your top personal finance podcast. Answer 17 questions in the fifth annual YMYW podcast survey, and you'll be in the running to win a $100 Amazon e-gift card. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes and access the survey and the secret password. U.S. residents only, no purchase necessary. Survey and giveaway close and winner chosen at 4 p.m. Pacific time on August 31st, 2022. Setting up your saving and investing strategies when you're in your 30s can put you on a really good path to meeting your retirement goals. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 391, we're revisiting Joe and Big Al's spitballing over the last couple of years, specifically for YMYW savers and investors in their 30s and even 20s, some of whom want to retire early. Though the market has been roller coastery in the last few months, the fellas' general suggestions remain the same, because if you're a regular YMYW listener, you know that the financial plan you create today should be able to stand up to market uncertainty. If you'd like a retirement spitball of your own or to send in your money questions or comments, go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Ask Joe and Al on air. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. David from Missouri writes in, yo, Joe, Andy and Al. little recap here from David. He's married, gross income of $300,000, maxing out both 401ks, nineteen five each. Maxing out the backdoor Roth, 6000 each. He has two rental properties in Missouri. And he's also maxing out an HSA health plan, 7100 uh, he's also got two cats, but I'm sure Andy's already found them on Google. Are you kind of spying on David from Missouri? That's what you've got him thinking. I guarantee you probably know what his cat's names are because it's right here. It's Night and Wade. <laughs> um, so do you still hack Facebook accounts, Andy? I do not. Gave that up a long time ago. Really? Yeah. Much it, just, it just doesn't pay as well. Um, I'm sure you noticed... But I didn't list the impressive Kia Optima hybrid. That's because it's gone. Joining the big boys in the non-qual zone with a brand new Tesla. Wow. Model S. That's the good one. It's got Model S for it. (laughs) So back to joining the big boys in the non-qual zone. What's a non-qual zone? What the hell is this all about, Al? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> Al mentioned that some markets aren't high, like the S&P 500 is reported right now. I am purchasing mutual funds in my brokerage account and have only been targeting S&P funds. Are there other sectors or areas I should be investing in if I want to let them sit for the long term, 20 or 30 years? Which areas should I be investing in or what are low right now? You're all great. I look forward to the show each week. Uh, all right. Thank you. He, he wants us to expand two times a week there, Al. Yeah, I, I, I gather that. So I guess since he's commenting on my comment, I, I will answer. Um, well, first of all, I'm really not a market timer. So I'm, I'm not the best person to ask what's low, what's high, the the price to earnings ratios, the CAPE ratios, all that. That's, that's, I'm a long-term investor. I'll, I'll put it that way. So I like to invest in, in a globally diversified portfolio. And so S&P 500 is a great asset class, but there's others too, uh, like small companies in the U.S. and value companies in the U.S., mid-sized companies, right? S&P 
tends to be more large growth. Uh, there, there could be some large value in there too, but larger companies. I like international as well because they tend to go up and zig and zag at different times than the domestic market. I like emerging markets because- well, you like everything. Oh, it's just like pile it on, man. an ice cream shop. Oh, I like chocolate. Yeah. But I, <laughs> like I will say, so go, going back to my original comment, the S&P 500 has done rather well the last several years and certain other asset classes have not done as well, like small companies, value companies. Now, in the last six to nine months, that's turned around a little bit. We've actually seen some improvement in those segments. I, I wouldn't look at it in terms of trying to get the cheapest buy what's on sale right now. I would look at getting a diversified portfolio and then let it ride for 20, 30 years, rebalance as appropriate, and, and just, just enjoy the ride. Sure. I mean, uh, David, targeting S&P, that's fine. Uh, you got 20 or 30 years. You, you, you got to think longer term in a sense is that you buy high today. Do you think it's still going to be high th 20 or 30 years from now? It doesn't matter what it the price really is today. And, and, and like I said, that's one asset class. There's lots of good ones. So, there's all sorts of good ones. And there's yeah, bad I named too. I named a few. <laughs> good ones. Yeah, you have a good no, asset no. class. I mean, I yeah. don't know if they're good or bad. They're they're asset classes. Anyway, yeah. uh, we got Wyatt writes in from North Dakota. I like that name, Wyatt. Wyatt. Yep. I wonder how many times he hears that. <laughs> Daily. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hi, Andy. Big Alan Joe. I'm a big fan of your podcast and look forward to new episodes each week. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. Um, I have a question that I haven't heard covered in your previous shows. Uh, is there a point where you become too diversified in your portfolio? So over diversification. Yeah. Okay. Worried about. All right. 27 years old from the frozen tundra up in Fargo, North Dakota. My brother-in-law is from Fargo, North Dakota. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Okay. Our new hire, Dominic Kanaf is from Fargo. Yeah. That's there you go. Just keep it, you know, in the Midwest. All right. I drive a 2004 Chevy Silverado. Of course you do. And prefer bourbon yeah. and an old fashioned, uh, but can never turn down a cold bush latte. latte. There you oh, go. Look at bush light. Right. My question revolves around being too diversified in my portfolios. Um, while I'm still at a younger age, I feel like I'm growing um, going against the adage of concentration creates wealth, diversification preserves it. Uh, my portfolio breakdown is as follows. I'm 100%. Um, my allocation is 100% in equities. Uh, you can disclose these amounts on your show if you want. Okay. He's got a 401k of about $50,000 and he has uh, S&P 500, 2060 target date fund, large cap growth fund, small cap index fund, total international fund. He's got a Roth IRA. Same thing, large cap, got a couple bucks in individual stocks and small cap, then large cap, international. Um, then he's got a uh, bridge account, non-qualified brokerage. It's called a bridge account, I guess. Yeah. Um, so again, he's fully diversified. He's got probably what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight positions on a $4,500 account. That might be a bit much. It could be. Um, to try to keep track of all that. Um, and then he's got uh, another brokerage account and he's got a couple of funds there. I know there's a lot of information um, within this question, but would really appreciate your thoughts on this topic. Looking forward to future episodes as always. All the best. Wyatt from Fargo. Cool. Thanks, Wyatt. 
okay, over diversification. So he does have a point. The, the, the best investment in the world is in individual stock. Yeah. But that was an investment right. you make in yourself. Or it, it well, could be that too. That too. But besides that, besides that, it, the, the best investment, and we'll say this, I'll say it again. The best investment you could ever make is in an individual stock if you pick the right stock. Right. That's the hard part. Right. Um, because that's concentration. Or an investment you make in yourself and you build a, a very successful business. You could do and that. then you sell it. Yeah, that, that right? works too. But those are highly concentrated. Yeah. And and in many cases that fails because you are concentrated. But see, that's the thing about concentration of, of your assets. If they do well, you make a lot or you could lose it all. You know, it just it just depends if you pick the right one. Right. Um do I feel that Wyatt is overly diversifying? I think um, overly diversified is probably not the right answer, but I think it's over um, many, over the top. Too many funds. <laughs> a lot of funds. Well, I think there's a lot of overlap here. Yeah, well, it's not it's yeah. not over diversified. There's overlap. Right. I think that the idea of 100% allocation towards equities at age 27, I'm all for that. Yep. As long as you understand, it's gonna go down, it's going to go up, but over the long term, you're going to do better having all stocks. So I like that. I think, I think Wyatt, you have more different funds than you need, but the fact that you, you, you're hitting on all the major asset classes, as long as these are low cost index type funds or ETFs, I'm assuming they are because you have asset classes, but I don't know that for sure. You want to double check that. But yeah, you're, you're on the right track and concentration. Here, here's how I think about concentration. Instead of trying to pick the next Google, which is almost impossible, concentration happens when you buy a property or when you start a business or you're working in a successful business and you get stock options. To me, that's where concentration really works well. To try to find the, the next gold mine stock is almost impossible. Right. Isn't this also where asset location would come in? He's he's kind of equally diversified across both his 401k and his Roth IRA and his brokerage. Wouldn't it make more sense to have his more volatile assets in the Roth IRA? It could, because, but he's 27. So it's it does. And, I mean, and, as you get older and you need the money from the portfolio, then that's when we would probably look at asset location a little bit. But he's 100 percent stocks. Yeah. So, as, it's, as so there's it's more aggressive. bonds in the portfolio, then you would probably you know look at that. But you're right, Andy. If this was me. I would have three funds. Yeah, me too. I would have a total U.S. stock market fund. Yes. I would have a total international stock market fund. And I would have like a small cap value fund if I wanted to stay 100% equities. Yeah. And I, I might add a fourth one, emerging markets. Emerging markets. Just a little bit. Yep. And then if, if I didn't want to be 100% equities, then I might have 10% bonds or 20% or whatever, just to try to temper the down, you know, downturns because you, your overlap city here, because you got S and P, you got the S and P 500 index fund, and then you got a large cap growth fund. If you look at the large cap growth fund and you look at the S and P 500 index fund, I would imagine most of the stocks that are in the large cap growth fund are in the S and P 500. It's almost the same. Now there's a target date fund, which actually will have some fixed income, but you, not, not very much, but some, but the target date funds only, you should only use one fund. If you have a target date fund, that's the, that's the fund. You yeah. pick that. You don't, you select don't, any other fund. It's not a diversification is what you're saying, because that's that's the fund is diversified itself. Right. 
Right. Agreed. So, so, so I, yeah, I would get rid of that one, but, but yeah, you could, you could do this in three or four or five different funds and, and call it good. But people then going back to the target date funds, people will go like, Hey, I got a 2060 fund. I got a 2040 fund and I got right. a 2070 fund. I'm diversified. I'm like, no, it's not diversification. You don't know what the hell you're doing. That means you're retiring at three times. <laughs> don't I you might, just want to retire once? I might retire in 2025. 20, <laughs> I might be 2035. might be 2045. <laughs> No, that's not a diverse. <laughs> if you want to retire in 2060, then a hundred. If you want to use a target date fund, then a hundred percent of your assets go into the 2060 target date fund. Yeah. You know, the way I think of target date funds is that's what you do when you don't know what you're doing. Right. Right. You, you just pick a, I want to retire in 2060. Boom. I put all my assets in there. Perfect. And then so, the, someone else figures it out. Yeah. They, they, they work fine. Yeah. Uh, but once you start creating a little bit more wealth and if you want to add a little bit of sophistication where they don't work out great is when you, when you start needing to create the income from the portfolio, um, because you might want to sell certain funds that are up or down yeah, tax loss, harvest, manage it and it's, things, especially if you have money outside of retirement accounts. Right. So, uh, but I think for our friend Wyatt, um, yeah, I, I there's nothing truly wrong with what you're doing. It's just a ton of overlap, um, and it's kind of overkill, um, especially you know, in a fourth like this bridge account. Yeah. I don't know what a bridge account is in his definition. I know it's a non qualified brokerage account, sure. but it sounds like almost like an emergency fund. Right, that should be cash or money market. Right, you shouldn't have individual stocks in a bridge account. Right, if that's yeah, if that's what it is. I don't know what would you call it. A bridge account? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I'm thinking, like I said, there's like eight positions in this $4,500 account. So that means each position is, is what? A couple bucks. Three, yeah. Three, two, 300 bucks. He's a, yeah. He's got individual stocks too. Oh yeah. At 12%. So I don't know how many right. stocks he's got. What's 12% of four grand? <laughs> <laughs> he might have some penny stocks. I might, maybe, maybe that's his concentration. Could Might hit. One of those might hit. So, all right. Hopefully that helps, bud. Thanks for your email. Decisions you make today will affect your financial security for years to come. So make sure you're on the right track. Crack the financial code at any age with strategies and actions to take now that'll help you overcome any previous missteps and set you up for a more successful retirement in the future. This is the companion guide to the YMYW TV episode on the same topic, and both are waiting for you in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to get there. Spread the love and share the knowledge. Click the share button in the show notes and send the YMYW podcast and the free financial resources to your friends, your family, your colleagues, your next door neighbor, anybody who will listen. We got Preston from Alabama. I write in here. I'm currently 24 years old. I'm getting married in June and my fiance is 22. Uh, We're in the process of setting up retirement accounts. We are self-employed, so we're setting up our own accounts. So they're setting up their own accounts? Like, never mind. Yeah. All right. My plan as of now is to open up two separate Roth IRAs with plans to max them out every single year. Along with that, I want to have one or two accounts that offer a tax benefit. Um, I just finished reading A Simple Path to Wealth. All right. I've done my research in considering opening up Vanguard account in contributing the VTSAX with a percentage of my salary each month. I was curious to know what else I should be doing and how to set up for the most successful 
moving forward. I appreciate the advice you can offer. How to set up for the most successful, you forgot my S- Successful retirement, retirement savings plan. Most successful life. <laughs> most successful marriage. marriage <laughs> yeah, moving maybe, forward. Right? Um, just kind of forgot. Well, it. first of all, VTSAX is the Vanguard Total Stock Market Fund. Yep. We did a um, show on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Love which, the fund. Which we, yeah. In fact, I recommended that fund to both of my kids. Really? Yep. Yeah. I own that fund. Yeah. Um, okay, so Preston, 22 years old. Here's all right. So you're self-employed. So it's it's kind of funny. Well, I'm self-employed, so I'm setting up my own account. I'm going to set up a Roth IRA. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, if you're self-employed, you can do something a little bit different. You, you can. You might want to set up a, a self-employed uh, solo 401k. Then you can put more in if you have years where there's more profit than just the six thousand dollars for the Roth. So you and your wife are both self-employed. So I would set up a solo 401k for you and your wife. Um, I would make sure that the the solo 401k has a Roth provision in it. So you could put up to 19.5 for both of you because you're under 50 or 22 and 24. Um, and you could put those in your own qualified plan. Unless you have multiple employees, but I'm guessing you don't because um, you said you work on your own. You're going to do this on your own. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming too. And, and so... and. If $6,000 is your number, then that's what you can put into the solo 401k. But it just gives you the flexibility to put a lot more. And we completely agree it should be Roth IRA. Uh, the principal reasons for that is you think about decades and decades of tax-free growth, what that's going to be worth later on. And secondly, thinking about if you're 24 and 22 years of age, likely your income will go up. So you're in a low bracket right now, which is the best time absolutely to take advantage of the Roth. Yep, without question. So, and then you can set up a, a brokerage account. What we like to look at is tax diversification. So maybe as your um, self-employment income increases, then you might go with the pre-tax component of your 401k plan. Um, or you might just st- stick with the Roth. So you could do a Roth 401k, and then you can also do a Roth IRA. So you can kind of double dip here a little bit. You can. So you can really maximize the amount of money that you're putting in tax-free. Um, if you want to save more than that, then we would recommend um, going into a brokerage account because there you're going to be taxed at capital gains rates. So um, I think you're doing a good job. You're doing your research. You're you're reading books, calling this stupid show. <laughs> um, Saying if we agree, and we, we do agree. Yeah, I like it. Thanks, Preston. Um, good luck. All right, we got uh, Jamie from Pinehurst, North Carolina. Hello, Andy, Joe, and Big Al. Enjoy the podcast and good banner. While on the road for Big Brown. Yeah, UPS. Yeah, (laughs) Big Brown. I drive a 2014 Honda Accord and enjoy a few few cold Modellos uh, while hitting the links on the weekends. Ooh, Ooh, right. Right, drinking my beer and playing your sport. Yeah, I I could throw down a couple Modellos, hit the links. (laughs) I'm 31, yo. Wife is 29, yo. We both make around $100,000 $120,000 a year. As of last year, we maxed out the 401k pre-tax and Roth IRAs with extra money going into brokerage accounts. If I'm planning on retiring with Big Brown and receive a pension at 47, just about $4,000 a month, should I be doing more Roth in my 401k or pre-tax, bring down the adjusted gross income with a baby girl that's one year old? Um... Only dentists 
20-year mortgage, 198000 with 18 years left, 2.65. 401k is already 50-50. Roth at pre-tax. Roth IRAs is 40K. Brokerage is 60K. Love the pod. <laughs> Got a lot of guys tuning in every Tuesday. All right. Boom. Glad to Excellent. Hear Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for sharing the podcast, just like I say every week. Big Brown. Okay. So I guess. And by the, the way, Jamie's pension was going to be at 57, not 47. Oh, 57. So, all right. So, what's, okay. the, what's the question? More Roth? Yeah. What do so, you think? so, he wants to, should you be doing more Roth than his 401k or, or pre tax to bring down the Justin Gross income? That, that's a pretty easy one. <laughs> more Roth. Yep. I mean, he's young, 31, right. 29. So, so here's here's the reason why, Jamie. It's because you're young. Your salary will probably go up over time. Tax rates, tax brackets right now are kind of are near all-time lows, and you're probably going to be making more money as, as you go. So get as much in a Roth now when you're when you're making higher salaries and well, they're both, I mean, they're making $200,000, so it's not chump change here, big Al. Yeah. I know but, you got a big wallet. <laughs> but okay, let me let me let me, so let me, let me, let me drive in the big brown. Maybe someday. That's why I can't drive in the big truck. I, I can't. Someday you'll start making some real money, I can, like I do. I can't. I can't sit on that wallet for eight hours a day. No, let me let me explain, man. Oh man. So so I don't care if you're making two hundred thousand or whatever. So two hundred thousand for a married couple. Right? You're in the 24% tax rate, right, which is a pretty good bracket. Yeah, and, no, I agree. and, and I agree. I'm just guesstimating that the salaries for both of them will probably go will, up over a, not only will the salaries go up, but the tax rates are going up. Yep. So I'm thinking now is a great time to do Roth, especially because the market's down. So you want to get as much in as you can make your investments and have that growth uh, on the, on the rebound. So I agree with that hundred percent. And another thing, uh, Jamie, is this, you, you're not going to remember the tax deduction. You just won't. You know what I mean? It's like you're, you're going to save a few bucks a month from your paycheck if you went pre-tax versus Roth, right? So you're going to have a little bit less take-home. But once you do it after a couple of weeks, you're going to get used to spending your take-home. And then 20, 30 years, 15 years, whenever you want to retire, you're going to have a giant pot of money that's tax-free. You know what I mean? You're going to be like, damn, I'm so glad that I wrote in. <laughs> now, on the other hand, if you find out with the new, with the baby girl, it's a little more expensive than you thought. Like you can only afford one diaper a week and yeah. you need more than that. Well, then you then, switch. Then you, then you kind of switch over a little bit. Yeah. But um, you're going to have a pension. You will have social security. You're going to have a lot of um, some, some good fixed income that will already be a floor that could be at a, a fairly decent rate. So then every additional dollar that you're going to be pulling out of your 401ks and IRAs and everything else is going to be taxed at ordinary income. If you start now with Roth and get the compounding effects of tax-free dollars at 30 years old over the next 20, 25 years, I mean, it's going to be significant. And all of that is exempt from tax. So Yeah. And one other key point, I think, is if you're getting a pension of 4000 a month, and I don't know what that'll be when you're 57, it's going to be higher. But just, just right now, that's about 50000 a year. You multiply that by 25, that's equivalent to having an IRA of a million two fifty, because that would be a 4% distribution rate. So you're already going to have 1.2 million-ish, right? I mean, equivalent 
in a, in a pension plan. So you kind of want to get as much in the Roth as you can. Right. Uh, in other, to say it another way, for those of us that don't have a pension, I need to save at least a million to $1.2 million saved to create the income that your pension is going to give. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. So if you think about what that pension is really worth, it's million, right? Yeah. It's a million bucks. million plus, right? So, um, all right. Hey, thanks for the call. And uh, let's hit the links. I would love to play Pinehurst. Go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com if you've got a question like Mike did from Washington, D.C. Hi there. I'm 32 years old. Paid off all my student loans, around eighty dollars to $90,000, and have just over $300,000 in overall liquid and retirement savings. Killing the game, Mike. 32, Al. He's saved $300,000 and paid off another $100,000. That's four hundred dollars Yeah, uh, that is amazing, Mike. That's, uh, that's what, you know, that's what happens when you listen to your money or wealth. I mean, stuff like that just happens to people. I'm contributing about 13 to 14% of my 401k Roth 401k through work. I have a Roth IRA account in the last few years. I've contributed the maximum amount of $6,000, but when I put the information during my taxes, they asked me to withdraw that amount because I made over the limit of $183,000. I am making this contribution through a backdoor conversion. So I thought I was doing this correct. What am I doing wrong? What steps do I need to do for this to work? Also, do you recommend not contributing to a Roth IRA in just my total percent of the Roth 401k? Any help would be greatly appreciated. Um, all right. So Mike makes over $183,000. So he's 32. So... Yeah, but he's doing a backdoor Roth IRA. That, um, so he's doing a non-deductible IRA, then converting it. And he's probably using TurboTax. So we kind of answered this question a little bit earlier. Um, I think he's doing everything correct, but he needs to file the dreaded 8606 form and figure out how to do it on his taxes appropriately. Yeah, or just contribute to your Roth 401k. Much simpler. You get the same impact, right? That's what I would do. Um. Yeah, it, it, and, it makes and, no and, difference. A Roth, I mean, here's the difference between a Roth IRA and a Roth 401k. Um, a Roth 401k, the biggest difference is that if you have to take a required distribution at age 72 out of a Roth 401k. Mike is 32. It makes no difference. He's going to move the money out of that plan and put it into a Roth IRA to avoid that anyway. Um, if he likes the investments accounts inside his 401k, then by all means, do the Roth 401k. Right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's simpler. It's simpler. If, if you have extra money though, I mean, if you're not maxing out, I mean, let's say you are maxing out and you still want to put more money into the Roth, then then go for it. But if your income, I think the limits this year are what, 193 to 203, something like that, I yeah. believe for the phase out, give or take. Um, if your income's above that, you've got to do backdoor Roth, which, which means that you shouldn't have any other IRAs. If you do, it blows this whole thing up. But assuming you have no other IRAs, you can continue to do the backdoor Roth at any income level. So that would be a way to do that over and above your 401k. So, yeah, it sounds to me that he's got everything in a Roth 401k, and then he's got the Roth IRA account, doesn't have any other IRAs. You make the $6,000, a non-deductible IRA contribution. You convert it directly into the Roth IRA. Um, what, what's blowing him up is just how it's reported on his taxes. It sounds like he might be doing his taxes on his, on his own. 
Um, you just have to file the 8606 form, um, which we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, but you're doing everything okay, Mike. Congratulations, actually. Um, you're, you're doing a phenomenal job. Spitballing your financial future is great, especially if you get started early. But if you can get a one-on-one -on -one personalized deep dive into your entire money situation, from an experienced financial professional on Joe and Big Al's team at Pure Financial Advisors, and it doesn't obligate you to anything and it's free, why wouldn't you? What works best for you and your family is entirely dependent on your time horizon, your current circumstances, your risk tolerance, and your goals. And those are all unique to you. Find out exactly what strategies are going to help you pay less tax and make the most of your investment portfolio for your future. Go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click get an assessment now. We have Nick from Omaha, Nebraska writes in. Currently utilizing my employer's pre-tax 401k, 457 HSA plans to control my AIG, AGI each year. I contribute as much as necessary to keep my adjusted gross income at or around $25,000 to get the max uh, tax credit and refundable child tax credits. Uh, being married with three children, this scenario gives me no tax liability and actually gives me effective tax rate of negative how in the world is Nick living? He's got three kids. Right. And he's got his taxable income, or AGI below 25000 <laughs> which means his taxable income is zero. It's, it's negative. Yeah. Um, negative 43%. Well, he must have other money he's living off of, I'm guessing. Uh, he's got a little trust, trust, little trust fund. fund. That's, uh, that's what it would uh, seem like. Yeah. Hey, so, Nick, something, something happened somewhere. Yeah, we're not judging. Uh, well, I mean, maybe a little bit when we hang up, uh, we'll be like, yeah, Nick, that lucky. I mean, like, good for you, Nick. Yeah. Uh, this seems to be the best scenario as it gives me a guaranteed return. However, I'm wondering if I should be utilizing my employer's 401k 457 Roth option as well while I'm in such a low tax bracket. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Context, I'm 30 years old, wife is 28, married with three children, no debt, paid for a house, and have been contributing to Roth IRA separate from our employer uh, plans for both the wife and I over the years, as well as a taxable account. Love your show, mainly Andy. You know, it looks like I added that, but honestly, right. Nick did actually include that. 28, house paid off. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. 30 years old, wife's 28, got a paid off house. I got millions in the <laughs> got bank. Lots in the bank. And I, I make 25, you know. I'm gaming the system, so I get the, the, the credit. I love it. I love Nick. <laughs> he's killing the game. So he's uh, when he's talking about tax credit, he's talking about the earned income tax credit, which when you have kids and your income is low enough, you actually get a refundable credit. So that's how he can get a credit of over $10,000 by making zero. Right. And so he calculated that is that he's getting a 43% rate of return. Yeah, that's right. Guaranteed so, rate of return. So what does he do? Um, he's thinking about, all right, well, should I be utilizing the for, the, the Roth option, right? So I guess, Al, talk to me about the earned income tax credit. If he then, um, well, do you know the thresholds um, of that tax credit off the top of your head? No, not off the top of my head. But since he brought up twenty five thousand, let's just use that. So in other words, is it dollar for dollar, or let's say if I make twenty six thousand dollars, is it pro rata? Does it kind of? Yeah, it's it's oh. a, it's a pro rata thing. Um, but if your income is low enough, and if you have children, 
all of a sudden some really cool things happen to your tax return. You get it's basically like you had additional withholding that you didn't really have. And so the government pays you. It's called a refundable credit. It's the best kind of credit there is. And as one very smart tax advisor who I went to a seminar years ago, he said, refundable credit equals fraud. Because <laughs> when there's a refundable credit, people have a tendency to make up numbers on the return to get free money. Got it. I'm not saying I'm not saying Nick is committing fraud. Oh, absolutely not. No. But people do that. Sure, right. because he's got a 401k 457 plan that he's maxing out. So right. he's he's sheltering, right. you know, probably $40,000 a year. So we, we can only assume he's got other money to live off of. And so or, but he lives in Omaha, Nebraska. I don't know. 25 grand. No, no mortgage. Yeah. Three kids. That's pretty, that's pretty Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have shoes. Oh, they got boots. They probably sorrels. <laughs> it's cold there. Um, anyway. All right. So would you give up the tax credit to, to build more tax-free money, I guess, is the question. No. I mean, he's in a sweet position, right? If, if you if you start um, putting more of your money into the Roth, you're going to be over that earned income tax credit. He's going to lose it. And, and your effective rate for doing the Roth conversion will be like 100% or, or more, right? Right. So let, let's say Nick is, is saving, hypothetically, $45,000 into retirement accounts. Right. right. And then so he's got another twenty five thousand dollars of income, but then he's getting an additional ten thousand dollars of income from the government as a refundable credit. Right. So, so essentially so, he's getting an, another match from the IRS of ten grand. Right. I would. Yeah. I would take that milk train as long as you can get it. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's not necessarily what the credit was designed for, <laughs> but. Nevertheless, he's arranged his affairs in such a way to take advantage of it. So there you go. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't add any more income, uh, Nick. You got a sweet deal. Keep that going as long as you can. Eventually, probably your income will be high enough where you can't pull this off anymore. And then at that point is when I would start doing Roth contributions. But we've seen people that have millions and millions that um, right with the whole Affordable Care Act. Yes, we have. I, exactly. Oh, that will screw up my subsidies. I'm not doing a Roth conversion. Oh my God! It's yeah, just... we. I remember one person in particular several years ago. This was uh, probably someone that had three or four million dollars, and they were trying to keep their income below whatever thirty-five thousand, whatever it was, to get the full the Obamacare Affordable Care Act credit. And uh, you kind of blew up at him and said, <laughs> "Dude, this is not what this is for." I mean, he's tripping over dollars to pick up pennies. Uh, uh, yeah, it, 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 yeah, I kind of lost my. Yeah, we got to lead people to show them the right way to handle their money. Yeah, right. And so he wanted to to keep a couple of bucks in this affordable care. Uh, I don't know. And he had he had a lot of money in this four hundred one k. Right, a ton. And I was like, dude, you're gonna blow yourself up. I don't I'm care. Trying to save for this little credit you get. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, that just kind of tells his personality. Anyway, the earned income credit, if you can qualify for it, is actually pretty generous. All right. We got Andre from Bavaria, Germany. You said it right. Well done. No. <laughs> Bavaria. You ever been? Uh, not to Bavaria, but I've been to Germany. I've been to Munich. Yeah? What'd you do there? Go to Hopra House. Drink uh, some beer. A Hopper House? Hofbrau House. That's that Hofbrau. Hofbrau. That that's like their famous um beer garden. There's others too. Is that um the what's the celebration? 
Oh, Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest. Yeah, they do. They. I was not there during Oktoberfest, but yes, they would do a big one there. Got it. All right. Yep. Um, I'm 37 now and will be able to retire from my current job, U.S. Army, at 45 with $70,000 pre-tax retirement income. My wife and I invest $80,000 a year and are on track to have $2 million in our brokerage account by the time I retire. Well, thank you for your service, first of all. Um, what is he? He's 37. He's going to retire right. at 45 and he's going to have $2 million. Couple million. It's like. Good job. Yeah. The guy's legit. <laughs> uh, we are also, we also have a rental property worth $700,000 that we're breaking even on rent wise. I still plan on working after retirement number one, but want to have your opinion to do otherwise. All right. Using the 4% rule, I can take out $80,000 from my brokerage account annually without depleting my portfolio, resulting in 150,000 annual passive income. And my wife will likely still work, making about $100,000 a year. How destroyed will we get on taxes if we decide not to work? Now, to take it a step further, what if we pay off a rental property and add $50,000 in annual income from rent? Thanks. Okay, that's, there's some stuff to unpack here. Yeah, there's plenty. First of all, congratulations, Andre, from Bavaria, Germany. I don't think he's from Bavaria, Germany. I think he's, he's working stationed, there. Yeah. stationed there. Yes, I would agree. Okay. Uh, so he's in the U.S. Army, saving a ton of money. He's 37, wants to retire at 45. Guy's jamming as much money as possible into his brokerage account. So he thinks he's going to have $2 million in a brokerage account. So in a brokerage account, you're subject to capital gains tax, sure. which is 0%. It could be 15%. It could be 20%, really, depending on your taxable income and what tax bracket that you're in. Right. Okay. Um, so he's got a rental property. Not sure what the debt is on that, but he's breaking even on it. If sure. he pays off the debt, then he gets another $50,000 of income. Right. Wife is making a hundred grand. He's thinking I'm going to take 4% out of my overall portfolio. That's going to generate $80,000. So 4% of 2 million is 80 grand. Sure. Um, and then he's got another, what, 80,000 brokerage account without depleting my report, resulting in $150,000 annual passive income. Yeah. So I think that's the 80,000 of pension, 70,000 of pension plus the 80,000 pulling from the brokerage. I think that's where he gets the 150. Okay. I didn't, uh, where's the, oh, 45, $70,000 yeah. a year. Got it. Okay. Um, and then if, if, if wife still works, she make another hundred. So, so then they make two, 250 per his math. But then he's like, how destroyed will we get on taxes if I decide not to work? Well, if you work, you'll, it'll be worse. I'll, right. put it, I'll put it that way. If you're just simply looking at taxes. But I don't think he's going to get destroyed in taxes. No, at all. I, I don't either. I think he's a little mixed up. So the $70,000 of pension, yes, that's ordinary income. Yeah, but you know, part of that's going to be a VA pension that's tax-free. Yeah, that, that, true. Could be. Right. But the eight, well, I mean, I, have you ever seen someone that has a pension in the military that doesn't have a portion of that tax rate? Uh, it's very common. Right. Hey, yeah. I, had, I was injured. Very common. Yep. Anyway, the $80,000 a year which is 4% of 2 million. That's what you're thinking of pulling out. That's pulling it out of your brokerage account. You've got tax bases, right? So let's say you, you million dollars is what you originally invested and it grew to 2 million. So when you pull it out, just, just being a simple example, then you pull out $80,000, only 40,000 is taxable, right? Given, given that very simple example. And that's capital gains rate. 
right? So it's not the whole 150 is, is going to be taxable. Uh, if wife is working and that's another $100,000, that's ordinary income. So basically, I think what you have here is 70,000 plus 100, that's 170, you know, minus the standard deduction, we'll call it 25,000, right? So 140, 150, something like that before capital gains. That's, that's in the um, 20, 22% bracket. So you fill up the 12% bracket, you're in the 22% bracket. Uh, if you work, then it's going to push extra your salary into the 24% bracket, right? But I think the biggest issue here is that you're 45 years old, right? I would not be taking 4% out of my brokerage account at 45 years old. You're going to deplete the account. Yeah. So the 4% rule does not apply to a 45 year old. It applies to like a 70 year old. Yeah. 65 is where it was first thought of. Right. right. So now we're even looking at 3% for someone at 65. Yeah. And, so you're 45. You want to take 2% out. Yeah. Two, two and a half, three would, three would be upper limit. Right. Because I guarantee he's probably fairly aggressive because he's still young and sure. I can go back to work. If the market turns on him and he's taking 4% out, it's going to be very hard for him to get caught up. Yeah. Um, you know, just because of the simple math of once well, it's more complex math is if, if your account is down you know, 25%, right. And then I earn 25% the next year, I'm not whole. Right, you need to earn like thirty-five percent just to get you back to square one, and if you're taking out an additional four percent, right, you're going to have to have a lot larger rate of return on the rebound just to get your principal or just to get your basis back. Sure. So be careful on when you start taking distributions. Um, you know, you've got a great pension. Your wife is going to continue to work. You've saved a couple million bucks. Um, you know, I I would kind of run the numbers here. Well, and I would say if, if Andre's going to have that much money by age 45, he's, they're probably not spending a lot right now anyway. He's probably saving hundred percent of his income. Right. So, he's in so, Germany, right? so in other words, if you've got, if you have 70,000 for retirement and your wife's making a hundred, that's 170 just right there. Do you need more than that? I'm thinking no, based upon how much is being saved. Wow. Well, maybe he's you need more than that? Look at you. <laughs> where, where are you spending your money, Andre? No, I'm just saying I don't think he's spending near that much right now. No, Hofbrau. Right. Yeah. Ho- on the Hofbrau house. <laughs> that could be. I don't know where Burberry is compared to Munich. But I, I mean, congratulations. The guy's definitely a saver. Oh, and I don't think he it. could probably to, to spend that much. Savers have a have a difficult time spending. I think he's just spitballing some stuff in the air and yeah, just seeing, hey does this make sense? And he's kind of worried about the tax bill. Um, the tax bill is not going to be all that bad, but if he works, how much is he going to be making? You know? So if he adds another, you know, a hundred thousand dollars of income, um, on top yeah, of, it'll be probably 24% bracket yeah. mostly. So, uh, but if, if, if your savings are all in, in a non retirement account, you're very tax efficient. You bet. Um, if they were, if it was all in a retirement account, um, especially at 45, I mean, that thing would probably double by the time he's taking the money out at 60. And, sure. uh, then he's, then he's, he's got four million taxes. Right. 
Listen to all of the full podcast episodes where these questions originally aired by clicking the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to go to the show notes. They're all listed right there above the episode transcript. Next month, we'll do a spitball roundup for retirement planning in your 40s and 50s. Make sure you're subscribed to the YMYW podcast so you don't miss a thing. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule your free financial assessment at a date and time convenient for you, no matter where you are in the country. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals at Pure will be able to identify strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.